I, I woke up this morning and while I was having breakfast, I like scrolled through Twitter and I was just like, I was like, fuck. I, I was like, I, I was like looking forward to having a, like potentially a productive day. I had like some things I wanted to do and there's just like, I was like, oh shit, like the discourse is going to be, uh, you know, extremely fucked this, uh, you know, on this Friday. Um, yeah, the vibes are fucked. The vibes are fucked. The discourse is broken. Uh, but you know, I have a lot of faith that uh, we can actually fix these problems. I think we can we can tackle them in the in the next uh, hour or so and uh, set everything right, and then um, you know, the the glorious future will dawn. I don't know if this is you know even worth keeping in the recording, but like, did you see that there's some controversy within the DSA today? Uh, I mean, that's just like a day ending in Y, right? Like, what what is the controversy about? <laughs> some guy was doing like sub replacement level reply guy tweets who's like on there I, I learned that they're they're like supreme council is called the national policy council abbreviated npc which is like nothing could be more it's very funny perfectly dsa than that but like i mean the thing the thing about dsa is like i mean i have nothing against them as like a you know like in terms of what they stand for or whatever but it's like it it, it exists to like as like a salve on the feelings of the individual members it doesn't exist to try to win anything they're they're losers i mean that's and i don't say that like oh they're personally losers or whatever it's just like they don't have they they don't have a way of winning they they don't they're not a winning organization i don't know how else to put it like they're not going to win and like the way that they conduct their business is to make the people who are part of it feel good and so like they have they have to have all these like ritual like you know shame sessions about like you know oh you the the npc made a bad tweet or whatever it's like who you know in a in a, in a winning organization you would either say okay he's gone or who the fuck cares and move on because you're winning but like in a loser organization where you don't care about winning and all you care about is like you know assuaging the feelings of everyone who's who's a member and making them feel good because that's what's keeping them like associated with it you don't, you know, you have these endless protracted things and then you have everyone who like comes out of the woodwork to be like a speak to the manager, like the customer is always right person. I saw so many, so many, I mean, I looked at this for like two minutes, but like in those two minutes, I saw many, many tweets that were like, I'm taking my money. I'm never giving money to them again. And it's just like that sort of consumerist, you know, it's like, <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be, you know, doing some kind of like movement building and not just like, uh, well, you know, if if the restaurant serves me the food that I don't want, then I don't have to tip. Endemic yeah, yeah. in all these movements is that they care so, you know, because what the purpose is is for like people like you and me who are highly educated and like dissatisfied with the the state of the world, we are trying to find ways to feel better about that and to feel like we're doing something. And like if your organization exists, if its purpose ultimately is to win, then those things become subsumed into winning. You know, like, <laughs> like the things that you need to do to win. But like, if you, if your purpose is not to win, then it's shown by these things where it's just like, I'm, I've tried to create a dichotomy between winners and losers here, but I don't, you know, I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I don't mean that as like, you know, all oh, these people are losers, like they're, they suck or they're like bad socially or whatever. Like, I don't really care about all that stuff. It's just that like their concerns that they're that they're bringing to the table here are not concerns about like winning power. They're concerns about like what makes them feel good about being a member of a group. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I will I will I guess defend 
DSA, at least by the local DSA a little bit, because actually, like, I thought, at least at the, you know, the state assembly and um, Senate level in New York, and, you know, somewhat at the city council level as well, they've actually been fairly successful, like more successful than I would have expected to, uh, in terms of like, actually getting people elected to like positions. I mean, there's, a, there's like a, you know, you could... You know, I, I don't. Th- I don't think New York will be abolishing the value form tomorrow. But uh, th- there is like a legitimate, like actual, like kind of socialist voting block, like on you know in the state assembly, and that's like, yeah, you know, it's something. It's not. It's not everything, but it's. Uh, it's. So, but 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 this is but this is a very highly specific, I think, um, uh, like situation where I think the local org is like pretty good and focused on mostly like stuff that matters at their level and then like the national org is like off doing whatever like, i say yeah. this i say this not necessarily to criticize but just to describe you know you know a lot of the stuff that people treat as like sort of doing political stuff is like you, you know i mean it, it, like it, it is that it's like trying to trying to feel better about you know the fact that things are horrible and there's nothing you can do about it and like you know it's hard to do something about it i mean god knows i don't do anything about it but like i guess i guess i do find myself being annoyed when people act like they're doing something about it but really it seems to me what they're doing is just ego boosting i i guess this is this is relevant like to to like some some things that i've been like tweeting out and stuff like that but like one of the pitfalls that i feel like i see and i have seen this i think a number of times now like i'm not i'm not that old but you know i'm old enough to have you know been following politics for you know more than 20 years and this is something i've seen like multiple times like it's a cyclical phenomenon where there's like an opposition that arises from like genuine discontent with something with whatever it is the existing state of affairs but in order to distinguish itself that opposition has to not just have like different ideas but it has to but it adopts like a different aesthetic so you know you have what might loosely be called as like the i don't know like there's like a certain kind of like you know quote unquote i hate this word normie culture right that and so everybody who let's say takes on whatever that takes up the mantle of whatever the the left you know and it feels like they need to like position themselves in opposition to like the normie culture right and over time what happens is this calcifies into like an aesthetic like aestheticization of the politics right it's like if you you're not you're, you st- you you lose sight of the fact that like what you're trying to do hopefully is like to you know things make things materially better for people and it just becomes like you're, you're just orienting yourself in the opposite direction of whatever wherever the vector of like you know normie politics is pointed but but you have like subsumed yourself under that same umbrella right it's just the same aesthetic reaction to a whole bunch of things that you didn't like so you built like a different aesthetic that points in the other direction but like it's literally reactionary it's it is reactionary in a way right it gives it because it's it's reaction it's a reaction to the thing you don't like right it's like it's like if the if the if all the principles go away if all like the actual stuff that you're trying to do if that goes away like what's left is just all that's left is the reaction so i feel like this is a, a cycle that has I, i've seen play out in like a number of like a number of times um 
you know, with a lot of with a lot of like left politics, whether it like it happened to Occupy, it happened, uh, it's, you know, at times to like the the anti-war protest movements like in in, in uh, that that came, uh, you know, in, sort of uh, before in the run up to Iraq and Af- Afghanistan. And, and it's like happening again now. And it's like, OK. And, and sometimes it's the same people, which which is which I find really frustrating. It's like, OK, we've been through this like spin cycle a couple times now. Like, think you would have learned. But maybe nobody learns anything. Maybe that's the story. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's so naturalized to be like me. The center of the of the story needs to like you know have the perfect position on everything. Or you know, it's like every like we've talked about before. Like everyone's become a pundit. You know, everyone has to have like an, a full spectrum of opinions, and like you know, it becomes much more about like positioning yourself or like you know trying to trying to you know not even necessarily like trying to figure stuff out about things but just sort of like trying to figure out like what position to take on some discrete issue or something and then it, you know just it like that is all quite reactionary too i mean like in a in just like a de- dictionary definition sense not like it's yeah, yeah, not yeah. conservative necessarily it's just like you are reacting to events as they happen as opposed to trying to like put something into existence or whatever and like you know what what is the the real movement for like you know with like an affirmative vision of the world that one can like latch on to there really isn't one and you know there certainly isn't one like i was talking with one of my friends the other day about like you know like in the early 20th century there were a lot of different anarchist tendencies like sure. a lot of the left was like sort of anarchists in various flavors and this you know, was sailing in the United States because there was a lot of anarchist, like left-wing anarchist violence in the United States, like the Wall Street bombing and the assassination of McKinley and all, all sorts of propaganda of the deed stuff. And like, when the Russian Revolution happened and the Bolsheviks won, it pretty much just went away. And the reason it went away was because everybody saw, oh, this is the winning team. I may have my own little flavor of you know, thing that I was, that I was sort of working away at before, but like, this is the one that's winning and I'm going to join the one that's winning because I want to win, you know, nothing like that has really emerged uh, anywhere in the world. I would say anywhere in the developed world, at least uh, to sort of say like, this is the thing that we can all kind of like put down our little versions of things that we hope would win and say like, this is the thing that we're going to, we're going to put all our eggs in this basket or whatever. So it's hard in that, in the absence of that. And it's especially hard, I think in sort of the wake of the pretty devastating losses that have been suffered by both these left populist movements, like the Bernie campaign, the Corbyn campaign um, specifically for, you know, Anglophone Westerners. Um, you know, it's just it's just very easy to be demoralized because like the whole yeah. the whole tone of things is just like, well, why did we lose? How could could we have won? You know, oh, but like and then you know, you get into even deeper issues like, well, what was the we there? Did we even you know, did we did was there ever like a, a cohesive thing behind it? Or is it just a bunch of atomized individuals who like the sort of the brand and aesthetics of this? And now they're going off in a bunch of a million different ways and we're never going to get everyone back together and i mean i keep using this word we but like i don't even know what that means in this context so so yeah i think it's just kind of a demoralizing place to be in generally speaking so i get that you know you know bernie is actually kind of an interesting like 
interesting example in the sense that he's somebody i mean he really was kind of a, a loser you know in all all the relevant uh connotations of that term but like you know my my take on on at least you know from what i know of his uh of his history is that you know he was also kind of a grinder like he's very he's very good at, he was very good at like okay reassessing his opportunities and taking them where they existed and making something out of nothing i mean like the dude was like a nobody and he like clawed his way through just like municipal politics up to to becoming like a united states senator like okay he didn't change the world but that's like not nothing i mean i would argue that he did change the world i don't think that like most of these kinds of conversations i mean i don't think you and i would be talking if he hadn't run for president in 2016 yeah i mean we don't know right like we don't we we still don't know what the kind of repercussions i suppose of that uh you know that campaign are but i think you know to me the the i don't know if i would call it inspiring but it's just one of these things where when you kind of watch somebody not watch because you know i wasn't alive for most of that time but um you 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 read about somebody doing this and you're like okay well it's not to say that there's like a solution here there's not like a canned like strategy that you can adopt but it does say something about the the idea that okay if you keep you know to to use to use a uh you know an overwrought idiom like if you keep your eyes on the prize it's like not if you are consistent in your application of sort of effort to the problem it's not it's not a guarantee that you will win but it does like afford you you know opportunities to make something happen right it affords you a like opening to be in the right place at the right time if you will and you can say okay you know that the campaigns were not successful uh and there certainly can be many debates about like why that was but i think that it is hard for me to imagine that anybody would have like there was no there were no challengers at either like in either one of like those races that i think could have realistically like one where he didn't like out of the people who actually ran like you can you can imagine some alternative like alternative universe you know bernie or alternative universe whatever magical candidate that does win but like out of the people who are actually running it's hard for me to imagine i mean in, you know in 20 in 2016 like nobody was running right there really was not any competition at all so it would have just been a just been a walk-in for clinton and then you know in 2020 hard for me to imagine that somebody else i mean who knows who who, who um, even exists i mean this is part of i think the demoralization is, is just like who's gonna pick up the mantle of running on these ideas or whatever you know whatever yeah. you want to call it and you know i mean that you know i i think that if we're gonna just you know go into pure sports punditry or whatever i mean i do think that bernie's a winner i think that he's somebody you can look at and say that's a guy who can win like a loser is like Dennis Kucinich or whatever, like, you know, whatever he's, he's, he, I'm sure he's a great, or Ralph Nader or whatever. I'm, you know, probably great guys, probably great, you know, positions on various issues relative to the U S political mainstream or whatever. But like those people are punchlines. They're they're, yeah. they have, you know, you make fun of them 
because you know that they can't, I mean, you know, when, when people were making fun of Bernie, like he couldn't win, it was sort of like a, <laughs> right. Right. He, because he can't win, you know, like that kind of thing. It was like, yeah, you got the sense that like, this is a serious guy who could really, you know, he could really do it. And like, unfortunately, I think a lot of the organizations that are in that coalition are losers, you know, like are not like, they just don't have what it takes to get the ball in the, across the goal yeah. line. I, you know, if we're just be, like I said, if it's just doing stupid like Stephen A. Smith style, like first take ESPN punditry or whatever, sure. like the people in sort of like, especially like the left liberal world who, you know, like all those people flock to like Elizabeth Warren or whatever, who is a loser. And, <laughs> you know, like they, they didn't have the will to win. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's just that's a stupid way of putting it. But I mean, yeah, like that, uh, yeah, what, I, what I mean by that is just like th- they would rather be right than win. You know, and in in their little you know headcanon version of being right, they would rather do that than than take power in a way that like compromises them in some way. And that's I I don't know. You you can get all sorts of like sort of generational thinking pablum and just think like oh well that's because we're all hyper individualized now and we're all you know we all just care about our social media and our curating our playlists and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that you know who knows if any of that's true, but like winning you know winning <laughs> winning is about like not necessarily getting everything you want you know and and, and understanding that like i don't know yeah. that, the, the, that that like you're not it's not going to take the form that you necessarily want it to and that you're going to have to compromise your own vision of of what the thing is in order to like yeah like to just put away whatever your whatever your little chip in a bottle you're working on and say like oh there's this there's a movement that i can join that like actually is you know, poised to do something. You know, I just think that like most of the people in the sort of, you know, whatever passes for the left coalition in this country just like aren't willing to do that for various reasons. So I, I guess, I guess my point is more to the, to, to the effect that like, like, like I said, you don't know when some crucial opportunity will present itself, right? Like, and if he hadn't been who he was, like he wouldn't have been in a in a position to even make that challenge, right? And so it's like you you just have to you ha- you can't like count on I don't know the forces of history or whatever to bail you out, right? You can't count on like just uh, some kind of you know fait accompli that's going to bring you over the finish line. It's just like you have to you you have to build your resources in an intelligent way so that if like an opportunity arises, you are in a position to make, to make use of it. And I think like, you know, I, I, I don't want to make too much of a historical analogy here because I think that those are like pretty kind of dangerous, but I think like genuinely successful movements like that, that's kind of what they do that they have, they have a strategy, but that strategy is not just like, okay, I have a set of bullet points and I'm going to take off the bullet points until I get to like the last bullet point And then my mission will be complete. It's like you, you adapt yourself to the circumstances as they arise. And then when, you know, when the, when the opportunity presents itself, you make your move. So I, I don't know. I, I don't see, I guess that's, that's my kind of like frustrations. I don't see a lot of people who are like thinking in that way on the left you know like again you know bernie was one of them he's very old you can't like you just can't count on like an 80 year old leader okay that's like not realistic so then the question is like okay what who is doing well unless you're the democratic party in which case 
Yeah, well, you know, they've just decided that uh, all of those people uh, who are in uh, Democratic leadership are just going to live forever. Um, you know, I wish wish them luck. Uh, you know, we should we all we all hope to live very long and healthy lives. You know, the sort of the late Soviet period and like everyone was like, oh, Brezhnev and Andropov. They were like, oh, my God, he's 70. He's going to keel over any minute. Right. All of the all of the Democratic Party leaders are like a decade older than those. Yeah, people. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, check check the discourse this morning and it was uh, really awful, um, you know, because of this like New York Times editorial that I'm sure you've heard about by now. I don't. I honestly don't think that I have. I've been. That's. Uh, it's probably. It's probably a good idea. Like you're. You're avoiding like the the toxicity of uh of uh of this uh conversation. It's, I try not like, to make my uh to to make the ups and downs of my day contingent on like New York media. It's just. So, it's just so miserable. They published another one of these like, oh no, cancel culture is so bad. Like you know, it's one one of those one of those like perfect uh edit like it's like the whole editorial board wrote this right, and it's like one of these perfect like. Uh, complaints where they don't list any like specific thing that you're supposed to be like afraid to you know be unable to say or you know whatever it's just like this nebulous vibe that you know i don't know that you that you are somehow out of sync with and that that's that's the worst thing that can happen to you it's very annoying it's it's extremely like it's extremely dumb but it's like a good example i think like not i don't want to talk about it like specifically because it's like i said stupid but like it's a very good example of how like all of this like conversation about like actual I don't know like about like political questions is always like mired in this like just acutely aestheticized form where you can't like you're not discussing like the thing that needs to be discussed whatever that is like whatever substantive issue is on the table you're like you're not talking about that you're talking about some other peripheral like construct that you have made up to kind of like backdoor your way into the substantive question but without addressing it directly and it's like everybody's doing that and it is it's like i find it so maddening because it's like okay if you genuinely feel like you are not like there are things that you need to discuss you could just discuss them like you can talk about it like there's there's it's there's never been a better time like a more convenient uh mechanisms or whatever for like just getting your ideas out there like you can just put your shit on the internet you're you're a major uh you're a major platform like i mean the new york times is like a major publication like ever that so many people read it's like you don't have any there are no restrictions on you you can just like make the case for whatever it is that you want it doesn't have to you don't have to like weasel your way into like this debate through the side door um and i, I don't know if I, I find it very aggravating it's like we're always debating like the form of the form that the statements take instead of like the things themselves sort of like sort of like a uh, <laughs> like a <laughs> i don't know like a noumena phenomena type of distinction that's going on here <laughs> not really but most like vulgar attempts at cat at cancellation kind of do the exact same thing where it's just like uh oh you said something bad and the form of it is bad i in fact i it, it would actually be wrong for me to look into whether you meant the underlying sentiment of this or whether you were like you know joking or whatever the case is because like what we have is like this objective paper trail that says that you said the bad word you weren't supposed to say or whatever and therefore you know we're going to pull the ripcord on you 
So, I mean, I, I just think that that just that kind of thinking just permeates everything. It's it has something to do with like the like objective criteria, like the the need for like objective criteria because like the subjective world is difficult to navigate. I think this, you know, this is like it's the same impulse as like the only way we can tell if a school is good is if like people do well on these dumb tests or whatever. You know, it's like it, every, everything has to be like the objective criteria because you know like we live in a transactional society that doesn't like where nobody knows each other and so everyone's always worried about the motivations of everyone else and nobody can take anyone on good faith and blah 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 i i think that that's just sort of the uh the price you pay for living in such an atomized society that nobody will ever you know that everyone will spend so much time on like these like epiphenomena basically you know like the forms of things, basically. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like, I, I get that. Like, I, I guess, I guess you know, to me, it's one of those things where there's really no way to like. There's no sensible way to like police like, uh, like these these things just because like, if you think that people have, like, people will just disagree, right? Like, people disagree about a whole bunch of things and they'll say like mean shit to each other and sometimes that mean shit will be deserved and sometimes it won't be and just like that's just like life in a society i don't, I don't know what to say to people who like turn this into a kind of like i don't know acute crisis of democracy like it's it's fine like it's i mean yes there are regrettable incidents like you know you i thought we lived in a republic anyway you know <laughs> right they're like i mean it's not to say that there aren't like re you know instances but that's not justified but it's just like at a large scale i don't see how you really like get around the fact that people are just going to disagree with each other substantively there's this whole like liberal impulse to like well that just means that they're like divorced from objective reality and we need to fact check it you know people into the ground but obviously like as i'm on the record <laughs> saying uh like yeah, that doesn't work we have these two competing legacies of the enlightenment one of which is like this quest for objective truth and the other of which is like, you know, the inherent like privilege of subjectivity that everyone's like the Lord of their own head or whatever. And so it's like, if somebody, uh, you know, it, 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 whatever, if, if somebody says, well, you know, actually the most leading experts say that like, this is the correct position to have about whatever the issue is. There's nothing that there's no like rule that says you can't just say, well, I disagree. You know, like <laughs> it's my ultimate right to just say no. I, yeah, I don't yeah. care. And then, like everyone can get mad at me or whatever. But like, you know, like that's not there's that's no way out of the conundrum. You're just you know, it's just a it's just a different way of preaching to the choir. You know, the mirror image of that, right? Of being able to say that like you disagree. It's like okay, like you disagree, right? Disagreement again. Disagreement happens. It's inevitable. People are just going to have like different substantive commitments. Uh, people can like be mad at you for that disagreement, right? It's like you can be mad at people for you know whatever having their their bad takes, and they can be mad at you for having your bad takes. And it's just like that's I, I, all I'm saying is that that's not like there's nothing like particularly uh, nefarious about this. It's just like a, the process of again, it's the process of living in society. It's the process of doing politics. Like you put whatever whatever your position is like so you're gonna find somebody who hates it right <laughs> and like if the, those people get get mad at you and they yell at you like that will happen right and you it's not a um i i would like to think that we can like like you can do like those things can happen and they do not constitute like a 
like a crisis within the body politic, I guess is what I would say, like in and of themselves. Um, and I find it very annoying when people treat like, like, oh, it's like somebody was like mean to me on Twitter. Like, who cares? Like, you're an adult. Just like, if you, if you don't like being be- people being mean to you on Twitter, like, don't go on Twitter. It's like, nobody, nobody made you come here. <laughs> It, most of these people are like media people and they have to be on. Oh, they absolutely. Well, they're, they're as hooked into it as, uh, as everybody else. So it's just like, I mean, uh, you know, I I guess I sympathize to some extent that like there, there are some different ways. There are some new sort of forms and consequences that, that, you know, disagreement in the, in the like hyper contemporary world takes, like, you know, you can, I mean, it is true that, you know, if you step too far out of line, like you can be held accountable in a way that like you probably couldn't have before and like you know you can agree you can say well that's good because people shouldn't be saying those things or you say oh it's bad because whatever you know people take stuff out of context and blah 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 i mean there's a whole argument to be had about that but i mean i mean whatever at some level i don't really care about that (laughs) argument (laughs) because it's just not super interesting to me but i mean it is a real there is there is a real like difference i think in in some in some of the ways that these things can manifest now just because i mean these platforms exist and like 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 i was saying it's like you know if you're a journalist like you got to be on twitter like if if you're one of these media people i mean you can't like you can't you i mean you can't opt out of it you know it's like uh there's a lot of different like a lot of the consequences so-called for people's actions now like hit them in things that like you, it's really hard to, to not have access to or whatever, you know? That, I mean, I think yeah. it's understandable that, like, there's, you know, frothing about this, but I, I, on some level, it's like, I don't necessarily know how interesting that is, especially when the concerns are, like, these elite media concerns. Like, I don't need to be on Twitter. You know, like, <laughs> it's not part of my job or whatever. So, uh, you know, I can be on it just as much as I as I please, which is not not all that much. But if you write for the New York Times, like, it's they're sort of like, like part of your job is that you just have to like be dipped in this searing vat of acid, like 23 hours a day or whatever. It, it, I, I assume that's not very healthy for like your mindset or like your ability to analyze. I don't know what's to diagnose what's, what's necessary in society when like, yeah, it's, it's like your job and you well, also become like addicted to like sort of the push and pull of it. Well, it leads, it's the thing that leads you to believe that like the, the interactions that you have on Twitter are like the things that matter like just in general like that that's what matters politically and i know it's like sort of again overused to say that like twitter is not real life for some people it is right and if and if like your entire scope i mean it's i it, it's no different than like you know if you attend a particular set of institutions like you go to the same schools right like well they all and, do well a lot of people do right and like you know if you're if you're attending the same like if everybody attends like whatever the same ivy league schools or something like that and they all kind of have you know share that let's say ideology um it's no different right when you're like hanging out on twitter with all the same people that you whatever maybe went to school with or that you otherwise like sort of align with um and like but it does give you this impression that like oh the most important thing is how people react to my tweets it's like okay that's not actually the most important thing like the most important things are like you know real stuff that's actually like really happening but i mean you know those things kind of feed into each other in the sense that like most people who go to these you know fancy schools and become part of like the you know discourse elite or the ruling elite you know like their whole training is like designed to fit them into this uh reality in which like 
you know these like all these things are not controllable anymore because like all the all the like capacity to deal with them has been stripped for parts and put into the private sector or whatever so yeah. i think your whole like ideological training if you're like the kind of person who becomes like a new york times opinion columnist is basically like how do i explain why you know do a malcolm gladwell and explain why reality is actually you know what it's not the, it's not the best but it's fine and you know there's nothing there's nothing really to be done anyway because and then you know if you're a politician it's it's more like along into the box of like well you know <laughs> we're real constrained here we can't do anything you know um and that's just sort of like that's the reality uh, you know on the ground and so that's you know if you're going to reproduce if you're going to be like one of the reproduced elites into this into this reality like you need to you you're going to be ejected if you believe anything else so you know like that's it's no surprise that like that's the kind of people who who rule the discourse and rule you know the actual do the actual ruling you know like <laughs> to the extent that ruling is even possible now which it, you know largely isn't because like we've talked about before it's kind of like you know covid's a perfect example of this but like the state exists in this like horrific <laughs> gap between like have not having lacking the capacity to force but lacking the uh legitimacy legitimacy to persuade so you're just like in this do nothing corridor where it's just all about like moving stuff around at the at the margins and stuff like that and you know whatever just trying to pass these compromised bills that are going to spend a bunch of money that's all going to get you know stolen by the private sector anyway so i mean it's just you know it's, it's a very bleak depressing <laughs> landscape to, yeah. to be a, a part of in any respect but i mean i i think that there is this like there's a tendency um i think and you know i i experience this too as you know like a you know a member of this sort of group of highly educated people it's like you go through life and and the things that are rewarded are the kind of the ability to let's say right there, there's this there's a level of like abstract thinking right that's that's rewarded right in 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 schoolwork and in anything and you know by and large like i think that's actually pretty good like i think it's good to be able to think abstractly i don't i don't think that's a necessarily a like that's you know in and of itself it's it's not a demerit as such but like i think it teaches you a particular way of like relating to to the world where the things you say about it like matter more than what's actually going on right and so there's this there's this like this need to you know write the discourse in the appropriate way that will produce the appropriate results it's like a, it's almost like a like a like a magic invocation right like if the, in, in magic if you speak the name of the thing you will have its power and if you say the right incantation like, you like radical islamic terrorism right yeah that's right if you just say that if you just say those words it will it will just it, you will obtain the power over the thing right and if you speak the correct incantations you, if you will call the fascist a fascist yeah that's right that's right now you now you've trapped them now you've trapped them like they now they have to go sit in a box and that's it you won right and so so it's like and and i think that that can like and twitter is particularly good for like uh uh exacerbating this tendency where it's like if you if you just like where, where the so so and and because there's like nothing at stake that all the fights become like over like okay well what is like the discourse actually right you start off on this like i think a very reasonable like from the like you start from a reasonable position where it's like there are times when you really do have to like sort of like elevate let's say above like some particular concrete situation you have to think abstractly and you have to like kind of build you know your theory tower but then 
you forget that like that that theory tower relates to like like a genuine reality that there is like a you know like an actual structure that it sits on and it's not just like there's not there's not just words on paper right um and so you know i think the 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 kinds of people who end up in in sort of those media positions i think a lot of them tend to just like lose track of that they're vulgar idealists not to say that we're like everybody's on twitter but now i think we all have the opportunity to to be those people right in some ways in some small way we've all been deputized to be pundits we've all been deputized to to have a take on everything, you know, full spectrum takes. That's what we are. That's that's what the, you know, the media environment promotes. Well, I was just going to say that, like, I totally agree with that. I, I want to make two observations. The first is that I think that, like, the need to eject, like, the bad people from the discourse is sort of like the other, the flip side of the, uh, you know, the, if I say it's, if I say the magic words, then I'll win the argument. Um, so, you know, I think that to the extent that, the, the, that there's anything to be said about cancellation, it's just sort of like, it's like, well, you know, what we need to do if we, if we can, you know, if we can say the magic words and we can like purge the people who disagree about, you know, certain key issues, then like we'll have won the day or something like that, which I guess, you know, you'll win the day in the sense that like, you won't have to see those people's tweets because they got banned from Twitter or something, but like, <laughs> you know, like they'll still exist. Like you said, I mean, there's still material reality outside of right, this. They like, will still exist in that. And they might be, you know, actually doing things that you don't want them to be doing regardless of whether they're on Twitter or not. So it doesn't really, you know, whatever, it doesn't really do that much. But the other thing is, you know, I think that like one of the weakest forms of argument and one of like the least valuable ways that you can contribute to any sort of discourse is to try to characterize something let me let me define what I mean by that is to try to basically say like your argument is in this box uh, I'm going to characterize you like a, a perfect example is like this whole thing about you know is x person a fascist or whatever it's like well you know what what it comes down to is like this need to to like have right answers and so what you want to do is you want to, it, it, what fundamentally it is, is, is it's a way of arguing that somebody's bad without saying that they're, without having like a moral framework in which you can actually say that they're bad. Because what you do is you say, well, certainly we can all agree that a Nazi is bad. Okay. Well, most people can agree on that. Okay. Well, now I'm going to try to define you as a Nazi. And if, therefore, if I can fit you into that definition, then you're bad. And I mean, yeah. you know, this is this is a classic. I mean, that's just that's just one example of the ways that people do this. But people do this. I mean, this is the the dominant way of arguing. I think is it's just like fact checking because it's like people aren't dumb. They they understand what you're doing. They understand that like when you're trying to peg them down to a certain definition, you're doing that for your own purposes in order to make that word do all the work of explaining why you think something is bad. And like, it's just, I mean, like, whatever, you know, if you, if you're some professor or whatever, and you want to be like writing your uh, journal article about why, you know, X, Y, and Z fits some scholarly definition, that's fine. But like, that's not, the thing is, that's not necessarily a convincing argument. And like, I will just say that, like, there's a huge difference between a right argument or a correct argument and a convincing argument, because you will never convince someone that they're a Nazi. It's not going to happen. Like, it's just not the kind of thing that people are willing to concede. And so you can have, uh, you know, the this is the 16 point definition of being a Nazi that all the scholars of being Nazis agree to. And then you say, and look, you know, Trump is a, you know, he's one through 16. He fits them all. God damn it. He's a Nazi. And every single person who likes Trump will say, 
I disagree. <laughs> you know, like they're not going to yeah, accept yeah. Un- unless unless I guess unless they're like, you know, out and proud as a Nazi or whatever. But you don't get too many of those. Um, but, you know, like it, it's 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 an argument that tries to be correct at the expense of being convincing. And look, you're not going to convince any like third parties with that kind of argument for the most part either, because it does the kind of thing that people really don't like, which is that it basically says, well, look, you're too dumb to understand what what badness is. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, muster a bunch of expert testimony to say, like, why all these pointy headed uh, academics and stuff actually think that, like, maybe like the, you know, the impulse that you had to think, well, let, let's maybe there's two sides to this argument or something if you're truly like in the middle unlike you know most people aren't really but most people are just kind of schizophrenic they have you know handful of things over here handful of things over there but you know for someone who's kind of undecided about whether they think somebody is like on the whole good or bad you know mustering all this expert evidence i don't think does a lot of favors to the argument because you're not really what you're not doing is you're not attempting to be convincing you're attempting to be right and like I think this just goes back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning, which is like, for most people, I think their politics are meant as like sort of like an emotional sell for them to feel good about like the fact that they're powerless and can't really do anything. And like, I get that, but like, you know, if if you want to be a winner, if you want to win, you got to convince people and look, I'm sorry, but like being right, that's not a way to convince people. Yeah. I, I, I guess I would say, I guess what I would say is that like, it's it can be useful, but it's neither necessary nor sufficient, right? Like you can convince people without being right, as as we know, and you can also be right and just like not be very convincing. And 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 actually, like in my view, most the neither those things don't really have anything to do with each other. Um, being convincing, I think, is mostly a matter of rhetoric, uh, rather, or it's a matter of it's a matter of performance, right? I mean. You know, people people use the word performative like right, kind of a negative fashion, but I actually think that there's a there's a real like important um, point here, which is that like all politics is performative to some extent, right? I mean, in the say in the in in sort of like the Irving Goffman sense of the word, right? Like everybody puts on a mask and they they go to work and then you know they they wear their mask at work and then they wear a different mask and you know in a different context and so on and so forth right and it's like p- politics is no different it's a performance uh there's nothing inherently wrong with that but you have to have a sense of like how the performance couples to like the substantive goal that you are trying to achieve right so it's like it's good to be right and it's good to be convincing and you should try to be both but it's also like by itself like being right doesn't it's if you're just standing up there lecturing like you could be you could be very correct and just only the people who have an interest in that mode of presentation are going to like be be into it right it's like so you have to like it's just a question of knowing your audience that's exactly what i was going to say and like by this rhetoric you can tell what the audience and by you know literally who the audience is you can tell what the audience for the kind of like explainer politics is is people who went to college is people who are in this, you know, whether that's on on sort of the, the more left of the American political spectrum of people who are sort of like, you know, younger, down, downwardly mobile people who feel that they were promised something that, you know, was has not been lived up to. And I mean, look, I'm right in that boat. I totally agree with that. Like, that's sort of the, the core, like, animus that drives, <laughs> you know, my sort of, like, resentment at, you know, the political reality or whatever, or just reality in general. But also, but you know, uh, for for more like liberal, for more liberals, it's like you know people who who maybe are a little bit older, maybe had a little bit of success, and like have bought the rhetoric that like you know we need to do you know whatever 
in this house, we trust the science and blah, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, you look at like who's in the audience for those kinds of rhetorical messages. If it's on the left, it's all college educated, downwardly mobile people. <laughs> if it's, if it's for liberals, it's all college educated people who are doing all right for the most part. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that messaging actually kind of ignores the other parts of the, that, you know, people who could be in the, in, in both those coalitions. I mean, you know, a lot of the, the democratic party rhetoric isn't particularly helpful to someone who, you know, is sort of in the traditional democratic, you know, work, working class coalition and neither is, uh, the, the, the left rhetoric. I think it's, you know, it's a lot of, I, I mean, whatever, I, we don't, we don't need to, to do like bashing of the you know sort of college educated professional left or whatever but i mean a lot of the concerns that they have and a lot of the stuff that you see on twitter is just not like the kind of thing that like the average person who works at mcdonald's really gives a shit about you know on the flip side to this there's like this game that i think again i i see getting played a lot on um on the left uh where people are like trying to outdo each other in terms of their you know, working class affiliation or whatever. I was just like, okay, I mean, look, you know, you are who you are by virtue of whatever history it is you have. Like some people grew up in circumstances, uh, you know, that were, you know, quite bad. And some people grew up in circumstances that were fine. Like, you know, I, I, I personally had like a pretty good childhood, like pretty good adulthood. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm like, I have some like affiliation to I don't know like I I I don't know like I I just I just don't have that like I don't and it doesn't and it's and it's like stupid to try to ape it right it's like when you because people can just see it right like it's really obvious like I mean my favorite is like you know watching like you know dipshits like uh you know GD Vance or somebody like that like pretend like they're Hicks I'm like dude like I mean come on you wrote a whole book about how you're like. Your whole family is like, you know, just these uh, unrepentant, uh, you know, hillbillies uh, and you despise them and want nothing more than to get away from them. And then you did like you went to Yale and you became this like big cheese at, you know, Thiel Capital. And like, I mean, the whole point of that book is just like, you know, the good thing to do is to go to Yale and escape. But now you're here pretending like you're like the salt of the earth, whatever. It's like, come on. Like it's and and the thing is, like, everybody can see through it. Like you can't you can't really like fool people this way. And it just seems pointless. But I see this like I mean, like it's a it's a very classic like right wing affectation. But you also see it like when people who, you know, clearly grew up like you grew up in an academic family and like you're pretending like you're some kind of like, you know, proletariat, like just come on, just be who you are. It's fine. Peter, Peter Buttigieg, the son of a go to Gramsci scholar whose whole shtick is that he's, uh, you know, mayor of a small town in a red state. It's it's weird, right? It's weird. And it's like. It's weird because you see a guy who clearly like ended up where he was by virtue of like passing through all of these like gates, like elite gates, right? Like, you know, whatever you think of him, whether you you think he's good or he's bad, like he ended up where he is because he cleared a number of these steps that were necessary to like have the kind of network where you, you can like come home on the basis of like, I mean, look, realistically nothing right he had like no background in any like in politics he had like nothing but he had the necessary connection to come home and to run for mayor okay fine you were mayor of a small town you're mayor of a small town how did you get to be mayor of a small town you didn't get there 
by like living in that town for 50 years and building a political coalition around your like around your personality right like you got there because you passed through the gates right the gates of meritocracy and you formed the kind of network that made it possible for you to run for this office like just be that person i mean you are that person like you can't nobody can it's 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 goofy to watch somebody try to like very hard to put on like a suit that is clearly not cut for them like that that's just what it looks like i, I don't know what to say and like again um you know and the same thing goes true it's like it's like you know if you're whatever like you can be a socialist and be the the child of wealthy parents like whatever who cares you know ultimately it's like if this is what we you know people are fixated on as like you know as the source of legitimacy this is then, then it's already this is already a dead movement right like that that's it like if this is what you're talking about you've already lost i mean yeah well i mean whatever you could get into a whole critique of all sorts of like different sort of authenticity and identity politics based on that. I mean, most of it, most of which is just, you know, conducted at the level of whatever a New York times op-ed about cancel culture or what, you know, just complete like, I mean, you know, whatever there's, there's stuff to, to think about and, and to <laughs> maybe even be interested in there, but like the level that like the, where the discourse is with it is just like so far away from that, that I can't even spend too much time even thinking about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, again, this is this is a a confusion of sort of the um, the the appearance for the thing itself, right? It's like, which isn't even to say like you don't even have to give up the you know. I think I think there's like there's like a salient point, which is that you know your your class, your race, like all these things, obviously sort of like influence your your social position, and it's not like you you, you shouldn't you know you shouldn't hide from that, right? But at the same time, it's like you. But you can't like you can't just be like, OK, well, this person like, you know, you grew up poor. So, of course, you like you are the, you know, whatever the avatar of like, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, like left wing politics. But you did not grow up poor. So you cannot like have a opinion on this. It's like, OK, well, if this again, if this is the level at which you are like having the debate then you're you're a losing movement like you just are <laughs> and like because because the idea should be like okay well you come from here and i come from there and like okay what how where can we like what is our what is our commonality right like is the whole point right the whole point is like how do you form solidarity with people and and this isn't like and i want to you know also this is not to elide like you know legitimate differences in perspective it's just it's just like a question of saying like okay given that those differences exist and given that people come from different backgrounds like the challenge right is to get people to like try to come to a consensus on something like you know based on some argumentation or whatever you want or you know let's say appeals to i don't know the better angels of your nature or whatever you would whatever you would like to do right you, you but your goal is to like convince people ultimately to like join your project right <laughs> and if and if all of your uh like efforts are about like who can you keep out of your project then you're just like you're not building a coalition you're just you're just doing you're just you know doing infighting like which you know a lot of people uh enjoy i guess for its own sake but it seems useless
I think that like that kind of stuff is is actually kind of like mustered in a necessary way by like me, you know, mainstream politics and the, the to the extent that like mainstream politics can't really do anything. You know what I mean? Like they're like it's just sort of built into the system. Like, well, look, the time of doing things is past. We're just sort of like stewards of whatever this machine is. And we try to maybe plug some of the holes every once in a while when things go like kind of haywire. But like we can't do anything. And so, like, it's very convenient to have the, you know, like, for, for that reason, a lot of these uh, cultural uh, issues become really salient because they're, like, the perfect way to, like, to talk about something without ever, like, <laughs> at, at, like, a remove from, like, the the level of actually doing anything. But it's, it's, I think it's kind of frustrating to to see that replicated then in, like, areas where notionally people do actually want to do something you know what i mean like because like look the democrats i think (laughs) like the democrats don't want to do anything like and and i i think that's just definitionally true like they can't you know like as a as a whole as a collective whole they cannot muster the will and desire to actually get anything done so therefore the democrats to the extent that like that is a collective do not want to do anything because they they don't desire it and they can't do it and so, like, you know, again, like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, whatever, Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to do anything. Presumably, there's plenty of things that she wants to do. But, like, the Democrats, as a collective, do not want to do anything. Um, and, you know, the, the same is, I think, somewhat true of the Republicans. The Republicans have a little bit more concrete things that they kind of, like, want to do. But, like, you know, for the most part, it's not, like, a radical reshaping of society. It's just sort of, like, well, we don't, you know, we want it to be, I don't know. I mean, whatever they have, I don't even want to get into that, but like, um, so like these things become really like useful modes of like rhetoric because you can like get, you can get a bunch of people really activated and really mad without like ever really bringing any sort of like substance to the table necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, like, I, I don't want to necessarily say that like, whatever, every single supposed culture war issue or whatever has no like on the ground salience for like real people because clearly most of these things do but like the the argument i'm more talking about like the form of the arguments where you're you're just sort of saying like like what you were talking about or like what we've talked about before where it's like you know um what i'm trying to do is to define you as bad by defining you as something that's bad you know like all these kinds of things are like the perfect kinds of arguments that are like necessary in a moment when like the horizon of possibility is very narrow you know um so in that way i think that 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 you know goes a long way to explaining like that these things are just very evolutionarily successful in that environment you know like they <laughs> because they they have they have a lot of the characteristics that something needs like they can last forever without doing anything like that's what's important about the kinds of arguments that we have now and that's why the ones that are the most persistent survive in this environment because nothing's ever gonna you know like when the stasis point where things only get the same but worse and (laughs) and so therefore the kinds of arguments you know but but as people get madder and madder like they want to talk about something and they want to be mad about something and so like the things that they you know the 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 kinds of things that yeah become like recruited to that idea like that just sort of like are percolating up through the discourse and through the culture and stuff the ones that people really latch onto are like not the ones where it's like and we're going to win by you know, doing X, Y, and Z, because nobody really believes that that's going to happen. They're the ones where it's like, you can just be mad about it 
for as long as you need to be until, you know, I don't know, some person on Twitter says something you don't like, and then you can get really mad about that. Or somebody writes an op-ed in the New York Times that you don't like, and you get really mad about that. So that's kind of my diagnosis of, of why these kinds of like, say nothing, do nothing kinds, kinds of arguments are so successful is because like, they're just really well adapted to this, this particular like material conditions, you know, they're really well adapted to a situation in which not a lot of things are really that possible, you know? In, in some ways, this is kind of what happens when there's like no effective outlet for any kind of like political energy, right? It's just like, you know, you keep, it's, it's like pushing on a rope. It, fe- it feels like completely useless. So, you know, if, and, and again, you know, if you're, if you're like an idea person, like there's a natural tendency to get involved in like idea discourse, you know, which again, it's fine. It's like not the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, you have to kind of keep your eyes on like, okay, well, my, my, my feeling on this again is that like, if you're, if you're involved in like the ideas game, then, you know, commit to it, right? Like commit to the actual ideas. Don't, <laughs> don't work around the thing that you want to say, because, you know, it's like, I don't know. Do you th- you think it's like too impolitic or something? Like, I don't know if you're, if you're the idea person, your job is to push like, you know, whatever point of view that you are trying to push, then like, then do it. It's just what it, it's just what it is. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know like another different way of like forming uh, like another like intellect, like, I, I don't know a different way of like creating, let's say like an intellectual movement or something like that. Right. It's, it's sort of, like somebody has to articulate the ideas and you might as well, like if you're, if you're going to be the person who's doing it, like you should do it. Like the ideas should just like, it shouldn't be like a, a discourse about the discourse is what I'm saying. I've done a fair amount of like publishing and, and, you know, um, writing articles and stuff like that. And like the thing that I find about it, that's very disappointing is just like you, you put a lot of stuff, you put a lot of effort into it. And then it's just like, you just don't get anything out of it really. I, I, I will challenge anyone to, come up with like a more persuasive and salient explanation of fact checking than what I published in like 2019 or whenever that was, you know, did anyone talk to me about that? No, like, it just, <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's like, it, it, it wasn't like a thing that like had any sort of play with anyone. And I mean, it got published in like a big thing that a lot of people read and it showed up on a lot of people's Twitter feeds. And I'm sure a lot of people clicked on it, but like, you know, it's, it's not, if, if I really wanted to be like, you know, involved in like the uh, sort of fast paced world of, you know, where people are like always, man, you know, what is it? Wh- what do I have to say about this particular issue or stuff? You know, I would just be doing stupid replies to shit on Twitter like everyone else does. But like, I don't really I mean, I don't do that because I don't like doing that. So, you know, it's like the the whole like sort of incentive structure on these things is like, you know, I'm not saying that like I'm some sort of paragon of like careful consideration and research on like, you know, the, I mean, I, you know, I get interested in issues every once in a while and then I go down a real rabbit hole of reading about them and then I come up with like an interesting way that I think about it. And if I think all of that stuff's interesting enough, then I'll write it down and then I'll try to get someone to publish it because, you know, my hope is that like, you know, that somebody will read it and like talk to me. And the thing is like, that is not a profitable, I mean, it's not profitable monetarily, certainly, but it's also not profitable, like socially, like it doesn't, you know, it's done me very little good to have done any of this. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, it just, it, it's, it's a little, I think it's just a little disheartening to, to put all that work in and then, you know, and then to, to get like what nominally should be the reward of it. All these people who are like, you know, really great, like 
uh, editors and stuff like they're also known for like just doing tweets. You know what I mean? And and they do all this work behind the scenes and they and, you know, like they put like a lot of faith in me to, you know, as someone who has no following and no like audience or whatever from doing tweets to like write anything sure. and put a lot of work into like editing it and stuff. And like, you know, the reward that they get from that kind of stuff is is pretty small, too, I think. Except on occasion when they write like, you know, the the one that's like, here's a guy in the discourse that everybody hates who's doing something bad that everybody hates. And then it gets like eight bajillion clicks and everybody wants to talk about how like the shape of a particular argument is really bad or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You know, there's there's a number of different publications that I don't like. I don't always read everything that they write, but I sort of like follow. Right. And they kind of range from. I guess you would say sort of conventionally center left, like place like TNR and the nation or something like that. And then you keep moving kind of farther left to place like descent and maybe new left review and stuff like that. And, you know, there's no shortage of uh, like Jacobin. There's no, no shortage of like good things that are written in those uh, in those places. And, you know, every once in a while, like I feel like every three months, like Perry Anderson will publish like, 20,000 words in the London Review of Books. And then like I'll be like, oh, fuck. Like, it's going to take me all goddamn weekend to read this. <laughs> I don't know how that man keeps keeps. He's like he's like in his 90s, I think. I don't I don't know. He's he's extremely old, uh, but he's like a machine. So, you know, good for him. God bless. But um, yeah, but but a lot of it just seems like it's not particularly in dialogue with anything. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but like, I was just thinking about like that, you know, like Mike, Mike Davis piece that you sent me, um, which is like, you know, I read it and I was like, okay, sure. Like I, I agree with it, but it's like, I had trouble fitting it into like a mosaic of, um, of things that are like related to other things. It's just, I, I feel like I don't understand what the whole constellation of like this thought actually looks like. And I'm not sure if it's because like I'm insufficiently well versed in sort of who the thought leaders are, or who I should be reading, or if it's just the case that like the constellation doesn't maybe exist, and everybody's like writing for a much smaller, a much smaller circle. Like I, I I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but that's my that's my feeling about this. Is that like it's like okay, um, you know we've all read I don't know a bazillion pieces about like how bad whatever neoliberalism is fine you're we're all in a, i mean i'm not even talking about like you know I'm, I'm talking about like the much smaller section like the american left we're all in agreement on that like you're not going to teach anybody anything new that they didn't already learn by like reading a billion other things and there have been many histories of it and there's like you know you can read your philip morowski and your wendy brown and just like all that kind of stuff right everybody can read that let's just assume they have okay okay now what like what is the like what is the next step here guys right like because because it feels it just feels like there's a there's like a the circular you know ecosystem that is kind of like sealed in on itself and that's always just like writing about the same stuff but not even the same stuff in like a different way but just like it's like repetition of things we already know. It's like, okay, well, what are the things we don't know? Like, 
surely there's something here to be learned, like some new, I don't know, pathways to be opened. Like, I don't know. So that That's the part that I, I think feels the most, the most um, frustrating to me is that it, everything feels like a rehash of something we've already done before. And like, it's like, it doesn't feel like there's like a new idea, like a, or not, not even, it doesn't have to even have to be a very big idea. Just like a, just like a small idea, but new, you know? So I don't know. Feels bad. We're, we're talking about this piece in, in the new left review called Thanatos triumphant by uh, Mike Davis. If you want to just dial it up on the old internet, um, it's, I think it's pretty interesting just in the sense that it sort of gives a, a, a fairly short explication of like the principle of the same, but worse. And yeah, I agree. I mean, I certainly agree that like, that is the, the that, that is the tenor of just events, you know, it's just sort of like things happen, but like nothing really changes. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I, but I think this is actually connected to this, right? So, I mean, in the, in the, in the very beginning, like, you know, he says, um, you know, he has this, he has this thing where he says like, what I find most remarkable about these days, uh, dot, 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 is the inability of our Superman to validate their power in any plausible narrative of the near future. And I think that's true. But also, like, the inverse of that is that we don't have, like, we, there's no there's no counter-narrative either, right? It's like, okay, well, all the, um, you know, all the mythopoesis, all the, like, uh, has been stripped bare, and all of the, um, you know, the justifying narratives have been have been uh, dispensed with, and now there's just, just nothing but, like, you know, whatever, the, the reign of global capital. Okay, like... Great. We like we learned this lesson, right? Um now what, right? Like I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if Mike Davis is the right person to answer this because again, you know, he's he's also like a million years old. And, you know, again, like it's nothing, you know, father time comes for us all. Uh so that's not that's not a knock on him. It's just like uh it's just a question of like, okay, well, where does all of this stuff like fit into like a vision of a future right because okay you know if you say if you say that like whatever neoliberalism doesn't have to have one well they're pretty comfortable not having one like they think we live in it right they they think like that you know uh the end of history is like well <laughs> they think that the end of history is an instruction manual right like instead of you know what it was but um but yeah like if you don't think that then you kind of have to like i guess think beyond it and I'm not, I don't know. It's hard. Don't see anybody really doing it. I'm sure, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, even if you do, you know, everyone's just like a program of one. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's what I mean is like, you know, in, in it's, it's frustrating. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like it's frustrating, right? If you have like ideas, right. And like people don't engage with the ideas, the ideas like seem like they, they go into, uh, like a black hole right and then just like nothing comes out well and i should uh, clarify that like my <laughs> my ideas such as such as they've you know been published or whatever are critiques of things i, I have not advanced but, some grand vision but, just just for anyone listening who's not familiar with my entire oeuvre <laughs> which you can find on the internet no no I, I i'm not i'm not faulting i guess i'm not faulting anybody specifically for like you know oh like why have you not produced like the the next great work right like i haven't either whatever i'm you know i am who i am right it's 
it's not so much that I am saying that like any specific per it's incumbent on any specific person to like produce it. Right. It's more that like we should think about what kinds of institutions, whether they're like intellectual institutions or otherwise, are going to be conducive to like fostering that kind of thing. And I don't know. I again, this is not this is not to say that like any specific magazine or whatever is doing something wrong by, you know, trying to stay afloat in kind of like what are obviously very difficult times for uh for you know, print and intellectual media in general, right? You know, I say print in quotes, obviously what we all mean here is the internet at this point. Nobody, nobody publishes like a print run pretty much. Well, it sounds strictly true, but for the most part, you know, everything's online, right? But, you know, print is in the written word uh, media. Uh, but at the same time, there's like, has to be some kind of like a, is there like a bigger project here? Like, is the project just to, that you just putting out the next issue and surviving for, you know, getting enough funds for like one more print, one more run? It's like, I mean, look, ev again, everybody has to eat. Not not saying that anybody is like doing anything that they're that they shouldn't be doing, like just to, to whatever, put food on the table and have a place to live. It's just a it's just a question of like, OK, what what are all how do all these like publications and how do, how does all this stuff like how does it fit into a, like a larger project is there a larger project you know if there was a larger project what would it look like um and that would be a project i think that would have more room for four place like four different writers to like like genuinely engage with like some kind of constructive like ideas right it wouldn't be just a place where you know, okay, you publish your critique, it's published, it, it exists, whatever. It's like, it would be someplace where that critique could be refined into some kind of, into some kind of more useful um, object. But I don't know, you know, I am spitballing here. I do not know what what those institutions would look like. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm certainly not the best person to, you know, help bring them about. It's just a, it's just something that's been kicking around in my head. Yeah, you know, and it's like all these things kind of presuppose that there's like a we that exists, you know, and I mean, or like even a society that exists. And I mean, like, there's certainly like interactions of people, but like the state of society is, it's hard. Has it ever been weaker? I don't know. I mean, like coming out of COVID and everything. I mean, God, no, I haven't, you know, in my personal life, my, you know, my personal social life has never been more impoverished than it has been over the last two years. I'm sure that's true of most people. You know, it's like, I, there's plenty of people that I talk to, you know, daily, but I talk to them on the internet, you know, like it's just, yeah, yeah. it's not the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's, it's been a rough couple of years for sure. I mean, and, and, and kind of, you know, just before that, it's like the ways that you know not just that everything has sort of been like migrated to the internet but like the the ways that it exists on the internet now is so slippery it's just it's hard to see like where the um you know where where the real sort of like interactions you know like durable interactions between people like where those take place now it's just it, everything about it is incredibly vexed and i certainly don't blame anyone who just kind of looks at it and like throws up their hands in despair because i mean that's sort of my position at this point it's just sort of like what do you want you know like what do you want me to do i'm nobody you know right. <laughs> i can't well like uh you know i just i try to i try to do my part where i'm my part in whatever my 
mind imagines would be something useful that's like congruent with my skills or whatever but like you know it's not like i'm taking orders from some you know uh cadre or something like this not like i'm trying to like march in formation with a bunch of other like-minded people it's just sort of like this just is what strikes me as like a thing that i can do to that seems like it might be helping but like you know what for me that this is like i don't know I write an article every year and a half or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it does have like this kind of ephemeral character, right? Where uh, you just, it just feels like it's something that happens outside of like, you know, quote unquote life as such. And I think that's part of the actually, you know, part of the appeal of Twitter, right? Is that it does actually have a kind of immediacy and also, there are like fixed, there are personalities on Twitter where you like, you quickly pick up on like, okay, you know, this is this post, like if you interact with, you know, enough people on there, you kind of pick up like, okay, well, these posts, this person posts like this, and this person posts like that. And like, you kind of suss out, you know, where, where, where people are coming from, at least uh, people that you encounter repeatedly. So it does have actually this immediacy, um, and feels like a manifested social environment in a way that like very few things do today you know <laughs> so so i do understand i mean like you know it does have an appeal like even on that level i'm trying to think of how we can wrap up uh <laughs> I, I you know I, I started started off by claiming that uh that we would we would solve all the discourse problems and fix the vibes um and uh you know i i regret to inform the listeners that we have not done any of that so <laughs> whenever i encounter these like for for lack of a better word these loser arguments or loser discourses or whatever just just like and again i you know what i mean by that is like they're never going to win anyone over they're not like i'm not saying like everyone involved is like a loser or something like that in the sense like a social sense it's just like it's not the kind of argument that like winning entails you know has nothing to do with that so um and, and i try to think to myself like now how would i in my you know with my almighty powers like determine like how how to make like something good out of this argument you know how how could i how would i react if i was in a situation where like i was you know trying to start some movement and people kept trying to get bogged down and like you know i don't know getting mad about somebody's tweets or something like that like and it's just it's it's hard it's like you can't i don't know exactly like it's almost like it has to be like a like a force of personality thing where you you can just sort of like move people off that spot by saying like okay shut up about that we don't care we're marching toward victory you know like (laughs) and if you can't do that you know uh and i think that there's a lot of reasons that people it's not just a personality thing that people can't do that you know it's like what is victory who's we you know like all these things are very difficult sort of and so you do so like all these these kinds of arguments just become interminable because they're the only thing that really exists. You know, there's not, there's the way that you would sidestep it is, you know, you'd be, you'd be like the, I don't know. It's just, it's just funny to imagine like the Bolsheviks or something being like, uh, Oh, like one of our really good generals, uh, you know, said something mean to somebody else and like, you know, whatever, like just imagining like what Lenin would think would do with that, you know, like, it's just like shut up we're marching to victory we're we're, you know like get in line like you know join the phalanx like that's how that's how like winning 
that's the winning mindset, you know? I guess I guess the way that I would phrase it is like this, right? Like in any movement, there's going to be like division. Just because, like, again, this is a social context, like people have different opinions. They they agree, they disagree. Um, and so like people will, let's say, complain about something. And it just has to be like you have you have to some way of like adjudicating those complaints that kind of let's say don't leave anybody substantially worse off, right? Like you cannot allow people to sort of weaponize bad faith accusations. And, but at the same time, you have to be like responsive to like, you know, if somebody is like giving you like legitimate criticism, like you have to be responsive to that, right? Because like institutions that are not responsive to legitimate criticism, like are institutions that ossify and that crumble, right? So you have to have like, you have to be both flexible enough to, like adapt to to critique but also like like rigid enough that you are not going to just completely crumble at like the first the first time somebody like raises their voice right sorry i was just gonna yeah, say yeah, you gotta yeah. know who your enemies are too because exactly exactly you and know you the people to... who are accusing corbin of that kind of stuff were not his friends absolutely and you just have to say hey look this is bad faith bullshit and we are not listening to you right like not because not because we are like, not because like what you are saying is like, you know, in the abstract, like wrong or whatever, like not because like we think whatever anti-Semitism is good, but just because like you specifically are a bad faith arguer and we don't need to listen to you. It's just like, it's like when, when like conservatives make like bad faith arguments about, I don't know, like whether free speech or whatever, it's just like, you're like, the answer is no, like this is bullshit. We don't have to, we, we know what you're after. And we know that we don't have to take this seriously. And it's just like, but then, but when people make like legitimate arguments, you have to respond to that, right? Because that's what that's what having a coalition means, right? It's like you have to give people a reason to follow you or to be in in a political project with you. And if you brush them off, like they will not be. And this is this is actually something that, I, in my view, is like a lesson that you know, sort of conventional Democrats maybe like want to learn because you know every every few years we do this you know there's this like the, you know some some latest like centrist hack comes along and it's like oh you know I, I, democrats should be more racist to win like the the marginal you know uh suburban homeowner in like uh, i don't know whatever tyson yeah tyson corners or some other uh, sorry tyson's corner tyson's corner whatever the fuck it is like uh, maybe maybe there's multiple. Maybe they're Tyson's corners. I don't know. Right. Just called Tyson's now. I think. Well, we'll just call it Nova and like and be done with it. And that's a situation where it's just like, well, if you brush off the legitimate complaints from like one of your most like like hardcore supporters, um, you know what what do you think is going to happen? Like, how do you think they will react to that? Like electorally. Right. You are you are like signing your own death warrant. And so you should not do this, even if you think that, you know, somewhere, somehow you will win like a marginal voter. Right. You should you have to you have to think about this strategically. Right. If even if you think that you're going to pick up like some like suburban, you know, uh, uh, family with 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 like by by, uh, you know, saying that blue lives matter, it's like maybe you should like take a step back and think about like okay where what road is this leading me down right like if you are you are threatening you're trying you're talking about fracturing your own political coalition for momentary gain if anything 
And I think people are just like not being serious about that. And then and then when when the coalition fractures, it's like, you know, you level the blame on like the people who didn't whatever didn't show up. And it's like, well, you have to give people a reason to show up. Like even if you think it's even if you think that they did a bad thing by individually not showing up and voting, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think. You are not in their head. Like you have to that's what coalitional politics is. You have to give everybody something. And if you tell people that your votes don't matter, they will leave. <laughs> like that's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to put it any more simply than that. It's just like, uh, you know, read Albert Hirschman, Exit Voice and Loyalty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my cynics read on this is, is just like the Democratic Party uh, likes these kinds of arguments and strategies because it's, its desire on the, again, on the whole, not necessarily like on any particular member's part, but like, it's not a cohesive enough, uh, like political movement or organization, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's not really a party either. It's like a brand. It's like a, you know, it's not a cohesive enough political brand to have any real wants and desires other than to like, you know, justify its position as sort of the left flank of capital or whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, and so, you know, these arguments are great because they're just like constant wheel spinning that they can, you know, their individual members can get in and out of. And like, like I said, like when when your whole when your whole like baseline reality is like, well, we can't we can't do anything. God knows we can't like govern. Uh, we can't give the people what they want. God knows that's not you know, that's not going to happen. We know that can't happen. Uh, so what, what do we need? We need something that's going to get people to still pay attention to us and I guess vote for us. And so like these things all become like really good, like endless conversation, like endless debates and arguments and conversations to have, because then, you know, it just like riles people up and gets them thinking like, you know, we need to vote for, we need to vote for these guys because these are the good guys and they have the good positions on these issues or whatever. But then it, it, you know, it's like, it's not coupled to any sort of call to like actually do anything. So uh, in my opinion, like these, you know, this is the kind of thing that Democrats, at least by their actions, seem to to really appreciate and like engaging in. And I think that that fits with sort of their like the material reality in which they uh, exist, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, we, we did not uh, unfortunately solve any of the problems. So uh, I, I guess it'll probably take, you know, maybe one or two more podcasts for that. Yeah, something like that. I'll work on my, you know, how many points should our program have? Uh, I feel like you have to have, I feel like the number of points has to be like, it has to be a number that sounds good. I think that's like the, the um, like a really key element to it. I think it's unreasonable to have more than like 15. Like I was going to say num- 25. I was going to say 20, it would be unreasonable to have hard. more than 20. 25 is hard uh, because you like people don't like to count that high. When you're doing a homework assignment, sometimes you like, kind of pad it out because you know like you could write it shorter yeah. but if it was a little bit longer people might take it seriously i kind of feel like 21 might be because 21 is a good number for one thing it's an it just kind of rolls off the tongue 21 does sound good like, there's a lot sound. of things that are 21 like 21 jump street i think there's a movie called 21 just 21 21 like the blackjack it's like yeah, yeah. it's blackjack you know, got some great basketball players who have been number 21 throughout the years i honestly don't know anybody's number 
I think Kevin Garnett was 21. I think I know like two numbers. I know Kevin Garnett was five when he was on the Celtics. He's 21 with the Wolves. So, okay. you know, that's our, it's our Kevin Garnett 21 point program, you know, cause you can't, you can't go 22. Cause then it's like, oh, it's a catch 22. 20. Yeah. 20, 22 is not, no good. That's and that's 20 is good. like, that just kind of feels like you, you, you just kind of like you needed to kind of like fill it. Like 21 is not a number that you would necessarily target just in the abstract, even though yeah. that's exactly what we're doing. But like if you were got if you had 20, then people would be like, well, you really had like 19 or 21, but you like combined two of them or split two of them out to get the even number. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think numbers, the, the, the issue I have with numbers higher than 16 is that they have like multiple syllables, so like 17, 18. Well, 18 doesn't, I guess. It's 18, 19. It's just like, I don't know. Those are like awkward. Like people, I, I, I they have bad vibes numbers. You're like in that hell space where it's like some people write them out like with the and some people use a dash and some yeah. people don't. Some people write them as like the Roman, you know, the the Arabic numerals or whatever. That's true. Not, not That's the Roman true. numerals, obviously. You don't want that unless you're the Super Bowl. Yeah, you don't want too few. Like, I don't think you want fewer than seven. Like seven is like the lower bound because if you have fewer than like if you have fewer than seven points, like nobody's taking you seriously. You want people to know that you're taking these issues very seriously. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like that's six I, points that's like people yeah. people like they would like look at material you know they would look at their lives and they'd be like six points is not enough to address this absolutely not yeah yeah i mean 20 21 is a good number i'm warming up to it and mul- multiples of seven multiples of seven feel good uh like seven 14 tw- like we've already had a 14 points uh you know that's that was uh that was popular this is like wow. if you ha- if you're at 14 points but then you score another touchdown and convert the extra point yeah it's, it's 21 I'm more coming around to it, like the Kevin Garnett program. So, yeah, that's what we'll we'll work on getting our 21 points. And we'll have to, you know, I don't know if it'll be like a 777 kind of deal or if it'll be like, uh, you know, like you come up with seven, Marshall comes up with seven, yeah. and I come up with seven. That's that's not a bad plan. It's like uh, it's like, you know, that that old um, that old uh, was like a. It was not even a cartoon. It was like an illustration. It was like an old union illustration, you know, like eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. I forget where where this comes from, but I'm sure I can find it. But uh, um, yeah, it's the same same kind of principle. Like you have like the three major three major areas, you know, like I don't know, whatever labor, leisure, and uh, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what the third area is. Sleeping sleeping that's right <laughs> uh and uh yeah and then you break it up that way seven each yeah good like multiples of three multiple i, li- I like the idea of multiples of three that's a, those are comfortable numbers yeah i think so and yeah like i said it's just it's like just it's like a familiar it's like a comfortable number on some hand but it's like it's got a little bit of exoticism to it as well you know yeah i don't know if anyone's ever come up with 21 points before it'd be funny if we like look it up and it's like you know, the 21 points were like some sort of like Turkish nationalist, you know, or something like that, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up right now just to, just to make sure we're not like signing on to some uh, something genuinely horrible. Uh-huh. Well, you know, we can take it back if it's bad. Uh, apparently there is there has been a 21 point program and it was the election manifesto of a Bangladeshi political party. Yeah, that was dedicated to uh, the independence of Bangladesh. Yeah, when, when you first said that, I thought you, you just said Bengal, and I was like... I guess this was before it was Bangladesh, right? It was East Pakistan. I mean, I'm just looking at a website called 
Banglapedia, which is the National Encyclopedia of Bangladesh. Uh, I have no idea how trustworthy this is, but the, it says a 21-point program objectives incorporating the election manifesto of the United Front, an alliance of the opposition political parties to contest elections of the East Bengal Legislative Assembly in 1954 against the party then in power, the Muslim League. The United Front was composed of four political parties of East Bengal, namely Awami Muslim League, uh, Krishak Shramik Party, Nazami Islam, and Ganatantri Dal. The front was formed on December 4th, 1953, by the initiative of A.K. Fazlul Huk of Krishnak Samik Party, Mulan Abdul Hamid Khan Basani, and Hussein uh, Shahid Suharwadi of the Awami Muslim League. The 21-point program was probably successful then because the Awami League is, you know, the historic ruling party of Bangladesh, so. Right, so their, uh, yeah, they, their first point was the uh, recognition of Bangla as a uh, state language of Pakistan. Just flipping through these points, some of these seem pretty good. Uh, they're all they're like for protection from flood and famine. They're really big into the salt industry. Apparently, this was very important. Cooperative farming and agriculture, uh, free education, do 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 do, uh, to repeal all reactionary laws, including those of the Dhaka and Rajshahi University, and to make them autonomous institutions to make education cheaper and easily available to the people. I'm on board with this. I've long thought that the uh, yeah. Dhaka University was way too expensive. So, uh, to yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty good program, actually. Uh, I mean, there's obviously things here that are uh, you know very specific to that context, but uh, overall, you know, I, I'm not I'm not gonna like you know put my uh, full endorsement behind it just because I don't know uh, Bangladeshi politics so from that era. I want to do the research to make sure that uh, not uh, you know they're not problematic, but uh, the the program at least uh, as a uh, on a first read, looks pretty solid. So I think we're in good company here. Okay, good. Well, this, as long as we're not going to like you know tarnish ourselves by association, I think it's probably fun. I mean, no, you know, nobody does any research or reads anything anyway, so we're probably safe. Yeah, but then if they look it up on Wikipedia and the name is like associated with some kind of yeah, like the guy who tried to kill the Pope or something like that, then that would that would probably be bad. To the best of my knowledge, nobody from Bangladesh has ever tried to kill a Pope. So in recent history, at least. Yeah, the, I mean, I guess that we know of. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll work on it. We'll work on it. We'll put together the uh, the, the the program, and uh, you know, we'll 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 be for uh, you know free education and uh, agricultural cooperatives, and uh, something you know, we'll, about salt. Yeah. Yeah. We'll throw in a bit about the salt industry uh, or w- whatever. Okay. Well, um, if you've made it this far, I got I'm gonna prime you for the next uh, for the next episode. We're gonna have an exciting guest. I won't tell you who it is, uh, but but trust me, it's exciting. It's it's actually so actually this person I, I will say this person is somebody who I think is like one of the people that I've read in the last I don't know five years where I've been like wow I now have gotten a way of thinking about something that I did not have before, and I think that's actually extremely valuable. So. Uh, yeah, tune in for the next episode uh, for the for the great reveal.